attention of heaven has been drawn to this region. And there is something that the leadership and people have been doing for a while. It has not gone unnoticed by heaven. <laughs> Frankly, when I received the invitation, I said, because I love the Senecas, I love him so much. I've known him so many years, but I have no idea, honestly. I just, if you knew my itinerary, you got tired just thinking about it, but that's okay. But all I know when I stepped into this region, it was like full of destiny, full of purpose, that your prayer have been heard, has been heard, that you have not gone unnoticed, and that he does care, and he will intervene. And there is a move of God on the way for this region. And you're going to steward this move of God. It's for the hungry. It's for the desperate. It's not for those who are too spiritual foodies. No, 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 no. I'm talking about those who are hungry even for the breadcrumbs that fall from the master's table. That kind of hunger! Hold the hand of the person next to you. We'll leave the aisles open right now. Oh, the overwhelming. Jesus. 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 Changes. Transform us, oh God. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In this region, in my life, in my family, in my marriage. Love of God! Father, you have heard the cry of your people. And I ask you, Lord, that you will do unto them according to their faith. And I release days of glory. Days when they're, they're going to have to have teams to handle multitudes. I see them flowing in from all parts, from I-10, from 49, I mean from all over the place. They're going to flow into this region. for just a minute Holy Spirit what would you like done <laughs> I'm being honest is that okay <laughs> so I don't want to be caught that doing what I want to do and not this is not being super spiritual it's the way that it is so Lord have your will whatever bring glory and honor to you and only to you Lord in Jesus name now Lord settle upon your people like a cloud settle upon your people like a cloud tonight Lord, let this night be a night of remembrance. Marked in our individual and, 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 uh, and congregational consciousness. In the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that all of your promises are yes. And they are amen to your glory and to your honor. Let's give God a big, big hand. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
I'm going to share the word of the Lord. Is that all right? We got, must be founded in the word. We got to have the word of God, and then we got to have the manifestation of the word. Our faith is founded upon the word of God. I'm going to share with you about generational blessing. Because God is building a house in this region. God is building for himself a house. Amen. I'm going to read out a uh, book of Haggai chapter 2. He says, In the 71st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to me through the, came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shethiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Praise God. Amen. I love the word. I love the word of God. Amen. Praise God. So the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to the people of Israel. They had turned from Babylonian captivity. They had been in bondage for over 70 years. They had been desolated. And now the task of national rebuilding was at hand. Discouragement had overtaken the people. They had laid the foundations for the temple. Yet for the last 15 years, nothing had been done. So a work that was not finished, right? Have you ever started a project with much enthusiasm and anticipation only to get discouraged and stop the project? This kind of scenario plays out again and again in the do-it-yourself projects that we see on television. The tearing down is the relatively easy part. As you, uh, as you, as the tearing down starts, then it is discovered that there were other issues that had not been taken into account. Because of this, the project may get up, may get up on permanent hold because of the lack of time and or finances. We have spoken about the word of the Lord that said to them, be strong and work. Say with me, be strong and work. There is something here for all of us because when this move of God comes, we must be strong and we must be ready to work. God is not going to hand us things on a silver platter. He's going to say, come along with me. We have work to do. You are my hands and you are my feet. And we're going to do something together. He's going to empower you. He's going to empower you to set others free. To bring them out of darkness into his marvelous light. We know that it's not enough simply to be strong. When we get strong, it is so that we can work. God will never require anything of us that he has not already given us the ability or the capacity to do. When he says be strong, God has already given us the capacity to be strong. God also instructed them to work. It is important to be industrious. God has given us the ability to work. He has empowered us with the capacity to be creative. He said be strong and work. For I am with you. Haggai chapter 2 verse 5. This is what I covenant with you. When you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. 
the prophet Haggai, as he speaks, the oracles of God reminds the people of Israel, this is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt. Now, first of all, several hundred years had already passed since the people had came out of Egypt. God was now speaking to the descendants of those who had come out of Egypt, but he speaks to them as if they were the ones that literally had come out of Egypt themselves. But generationally speaking, they were. I have said it before, but I will say it again. An eternal God with eternal promises can only fulfill his will on temporary man generationally. Let me say that again. An eternal God with long-standing, amazing promises that go through years and years and years can only fulfill that, those promises in us generationally. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, let me tell you. Let me go on here for just a moment. Amen. In other words, in the here and now, I know that there are promises for my life that I may never physically see manifest. But my descendants will see it. And that's good. That is good because when God makes a promise to me, he's made it to me and my descendants. And as a father to my children, I much rather that they get the benefit than if I did myself. Because that's the heart of a true father or a true mother. You rather have your children get blessed than you yourself getting the blessing. Am I not right, parents? Because if someone thinks otherwise, they really don't have the the heart of a father or a mother. Come on now. Jesus. My father was a minister of the gospel. He was an amazing He was an amazing minister, but the cares of his life and different situations caused him to take his eyes off of Jesus. The last time he visited me in my house, he told me that he had a dream. The dream went something like this. He said that that in his dream he was somewhere in the African continent with multitudes of people watching this man dressed in white as he was preaching. He said that as he got closer to the preacher, he thought that it was him. But when he saw his face, it was not him at all. It was me. How are you getting this? It was me, his son. Towards the end of his life, he got the understanding that there are promises that must be fulfilled generationally. God is a long-term, long-haul God, not a fast-passing fancy, not something that you get excited about for a while and then drop. No! Jesus, he wants... Not only does he want to bless you, but he wants to bless your seed. Glory to God. The nightmare of the devil is that there are generational blessings. That's why he attacks your seed. That's why he targets the children and the young adults and the youth. He wants to break, the, break down the generational communication, but it will not be so in the name of Jesus. The greatest illustration of this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the king was settled in the palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies. We're talking here about King David. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in the house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go ahead and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. You the one to build me a house to dwell in. Have I not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day? I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. 
Whenever I have moved with all of the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not made me a house of cedar? Now tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have caught you Cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all of your enemy. The Lord declares... To you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When the, your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood. And you will establish and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build my house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Isn't that interesting? God was speaking about David's son as his own son. Did you realize God has no grandchildren? Children, only children? Come on. So this passage that we just read is in the time that King David had triumphed over his enemies. There was a neighbor king. His name was King Hiram. And this king had built for David a beautiful cedar palace. Remember that by this time the Ark of the Covenant had finally made it to Jerusalem. The Ark that had been, how, that had been in the house of Abinadab for about 20 years at least during the, during the last days of the reign of Saul. When David became king, he sent for the Ark of the Covenant. But all of you remember that, he, that they carried the Ark in a new cart carried by oxen. This is the story where Yusa, Yusa and his brother were guarding the ark. They were in front of the house of Obed-Edom when the oxen stumbled. This is the famous passage of scripture where Yusa tried to steady the ark and he instantly died for his irreverence. Am I right? Do you remember that passage of scripture? So it was then that the ark was left at the house of Obed-Edom. And when the ark of the covenant was deposited in its place, all of the house of Obedidon prosper. There was great blessing that came because of the glory of God. When King David realized that Obedidon and his house were prospering, he sent again for the ark. This time, it did not go in a cart pulled by oxen. See, this is what happened. I'm trying to make a long story short because I'm trying to make several points, but I just sense in my heart that I need to illustrate. You see, they had sent David, King David had sent for the ark of the Lord from the house of Abinadab to Jerusalem, but he brought it Philistine style. What do you mean? In a new cart carried by oxen. But if you read the scripture, the ark was not designed to be carried on man-made objects. The ark, which is symbolic of the glory of God, was made to be carried on man and woman made in the image and likeness of the living God. I need four men. Come on, three of my men. I need another volunteer. So I want to make an illustration. Yeah, turn and just face in the same direction. Okay? And so you're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant just symbolically. Let's just maybe leave it out. <laughs> I want you to start walking forward. I want you to notice that 
It takes different people with different points of view that do not see things in the same way. But when the glory, we carry the glory, turn around, begin to walk in this direction. You know what happens when you're carrying an object in common, namely the glory. You have to synchronize your steps. You cannot walk the way that you want or have your own opinion. You got to come into agreement. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? The glory cannot be carried casually. The glory demands respect and honor. It's not a show for spectators. It's about participants. It's about those who want to get involved because the glory is weighty. It's the kabod of God and it rests upon your shoulders. No man-made structure could ever sustain. See, how many times have we tried for someone else to carry the glory for us. It does not work. He wants you. He wants you. Oh, Pastor David, I don't know. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. He has made us worthy. Our righteousness is not our own. Our righteousness is of the Lord. When you walk together in unity, it requires mutual accountability. You got to synchronize your steps. You cannot show up when you want to show up. Because some the glory wants to move. You better be there. Hallelujah. Are you with me, church? I don't want to lose anyone. Are you with me? God wants to do something that we have never ever experienced before. I've been preaching it for years, but the older I get, the closer that it gets. And even if my eyes were to fail me, I know that generationally I will see this move of God one way or another. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to have a part. Whatever you're doing, God, in this season, please don't do it without me. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. There was a great blessing that came to the house of Obedinum because of the glory of the Lord. When King David realized that Obedinum and his house were prospering, he sent again for the ark. This time he didn't do it in a cart pulled by oxen. This time David was sure to follow the pattern as commanded, as given by God for how to carry the ark of the covenant. And finally, the ark was carried to Jerusalem on the shoulders of men with sacrifices being offered frequently. Once in Jerusalem, the ark was placed in a tent. This was a very crucial event. David instituted the 24-7 worship in this tent. This is the institution of the Davidic tent. But now let us go back for a moment. When King David looked around, and now after this he had arrived, everything his heart desired was uh, uh, came about. He was living in a palace of cedar. It was the ultimate architectural achievement of its time. There was opulence and prosperity everywhere. It was then that David looked and saw the Ark of the Covenant, which is representative of the glory of God and the presence of the Almighty God that was located in a simple tent. It was at this time that David realized that the presence of God that he has sought all of his life was now located in a place that appeared to be very simple and rustic when compared to the opulence that he was living in. 
David then desired to build God a house. It was at this moment that he consulted the prophet Nathan, with which we just read the scripture at the beginning. The prophet gave, gave instructions to the king to do everything that was in his heart to do. I suppose that this prophet was simply following royal protocol. But that night God appeared to the prophet for real. And gave him the instructions. The instructions were that they were, was not to be the one to build God a house. It was God himself who was going to build David a house. Whoa. Let me just stop right there. I'm going to build your house, God. No, no. I want to build. See, David, David, let me, let me translate. God, I want to build a structure for you made out of brick, mortar, wood, or whatever. And, the, and God said, no, no, no. I'm going to build you. A house. I want to build your generations. I want a house not made out of brick and mortal or steel. I want a house made out of living souls, human beings of your generations. There is something in the genetic makeup of David. Hallelujah! There was a house inside of David and he didn't know it. The Messiah himself was going to come from his lineage. Hallelujah! What a house! Come on, glory to God. I know I'm preaching a lot better than you're responding, but that's all right with me. Come on, people. Jesus. King David was referring to the physical temple and place, but God was referring to a to the legacy he was speaking to him about his generations. David may not have realized it, but David was the one through whom the promises made to Abraham would finally be fulfilled. David had to change his way of thinking from the concrete and the temporary to the eternal. May heaven cause us to think differently. We need, to, we need to begin to think long term. We need to think about the eternal, about the generational. Otherwise, we're going to miss it. Some wonder, blessing with ice cream on top right now. That's good. But there is a humongous blessing generationally. Do not miss the whole pie for a little measly piece of pie. Throw, in other words, don't throw shade on your generations just because you're trying to get a little piece of pie. That wasn't in my notes, but that's all right. Jesus. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. See, God was not. God was looking ahead to of David's chronologic time. God was looking at the time when His own Son Jesus would come to the earth. He would come in a form of man. He would come as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He would come through the lineage of David. God was making sure that the lineage of David would be prepared to bring forth His Son into earth, the one who will bring salvation to all. No wonder the Bible says in Psalms 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Are you getting an understanding that? Unless the Lord, it's not that God is going to put brick and mortar. It ain't about that. He wants you. He wants your generations. He wants your loved ones. Are you with me? 
few years ago, I was standing by my mama's casket in California. And I, I was watching her. And I was there by myself. And all these memories, you know. As a son, I was standing there. I was weeping. And, and the Lord said, because she took care of the man of God. And she served the man of God who carries revival. Her generation shall carry revival. Let me explain. When my mama was young, that was many years ago, T.L. Osborne had gone to the island of Cuba. And my mama was her, the babysitter for his kids. Now, not many people know that. It, that's not really that important, but to me it is. Because I had never put two and two together until the Holy Spirit showed me at that moment. She sewed behind the curtain, unbeknownst to most people, in a place where nobody will ever know perhaps the side of eternity. But what she sowed, hallelujah, she sowed into my life. Now I understand. My life makes sense. I love revival. I want the move of God. There is a fire that burns inside of my bones. Hallelujah. Look, I got cases to do. I got places to take care of. But there is something burning within me. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. If my colleagues could see me now. Oh my Jesus. I hope they get the tape or something. He will finally confirm all of their fears that I'm a wacko. Yeah, I'm not about Jesus. I know where I'm headed. Glory to God. My future is secure. I have a home in glory. My God. My God, my God, my God. Unless the Lord builds the house. The laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late. Toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are the heritage from the Lord. Offspring are reward from. Do you think it's any coincidence that that's there? No. I have finally made the connection of what this psalm is all about. We would labor in vain in building a brick and mortar house for God, for God unless he builds our generational house. God wants men and women whose identity and generational structure is solid and secure in God. The only one who could do this is God. We're not prepared to build a house Unless the generational structure of our lives is submitted to him in a place of obedience and humility. We have to allow God himself to build the generational structures of our lives, our marriages, and our families. God is not interested in just being your God. He's interested in becoming the God of your children and your relatives. God wants to build our, gener- our generational houses. These generational houses then are able to be- build structures for worship. What I often see is that there are people who want to build and build structures supposedly for God when their generational structures are in shambles. Now, I'm not trying to throw shade or condemnation on those whose relatives are willing disobedience. But generally speaking, if you want to see how a minister or someone or a Christian's life, uh, a spiritual life is doing, just look at the spouse and the children. 
and you see how they are doing. The family of a Christian usually speaks volumes about the veracity and effectiveness of their walk with God. You can see uh, someone can preach, someone can witness the paint uh, right off the walls. But if his marriage is in crisis, if you interact with the children, they're not impressed by their parents' ministry or call. This is because most, because most but not all of the time, their parents have dual personalities. They're one thing in front of the congregation or with the brothers and sisters and then another in the privacy of their home. This, dear brothers and sisters, should not be. Say amen or ouch. But I love you. I love you. I love you because I must tell the truth in love. See, as I've been speaking, that's why we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he brings the Holy Ghost anesthesia. So when God pulls the knife and begins to cut, come on now. Hallelujah. He has us, he sedates us, has us be still. Be still and know that I am God. I cannot operate as a surgeon on someone that's running away. I got to, they got to go under, bro, because it hurts. But you know what? Went through the knife of the word. We dissect away between the soul and the spirit. Are you with me? When God begins to dissect and reveal to us what is in his heart for us, then we get a new level of understanding and we are able to more efficiently and effectively serve him and honor him in all of our ways. How many say yes and amen? Hallelujah. Pastor, I think I'm going a little bit over. Oh my God. I need to finish this. Oh, Jesus. Y'all, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. I'm really into this. Oh, Lord. Psalms 51. What you say, Pastor? I said, it's all right. We've been anesthetized. <laughs> awesome. I love it. He said, sorry, we're anesthetized. Psalms 51. Yet you're... Yet you desire faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Let us think about that for a moment. God desires faithfulness even in the womb. In the most obscure and intimate area of our lives, God desires faithfulness and consistency. God desires truth and faithfulness in the secret place. No more Dr. Mr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. No more mass. Your first ministry is your own family and your marriage. What would it profit if any of us, if we were able to reach multitude, yet our very own families would be lost because of our carelessness? Are you with me? See, God first trusts you with your own family. And again, I'm not here to bring condemnation on anyone whose family walks in willing disobedience. That's not my point. Please do not take that message home. That's not what I'm trying to say. I have met perhaps people, kids who are angry with God because of their parents. They feel that God took their parents away from them. Listen, listen, we, we need to be there for them. Let us minister to them. Let's minister to our grandchildren. Let, let them know that they're important, that they're included in the things of God. Amen. We need to build our generational structures. Ephesians chapter 5. And he talks about wives submitting to, their, uh, uh, submitting to one another our reverence for Christ and wives submitting to their own husbands. And you know, ladies, you, you, when you're submitting to your husbands, it's not because he's a big kahuna. No, you submit to him as you do as unto the Lord. By submitting yourself to him, you're submitting to, to God. As the church submits to Christ, so wives you submit to their husbands in everything. Now, this ain't easy to do. When you ladies look at your husbands, you see all their flaws. 
and then it becomes difficult to do it. But I want to encourage you, do it not as unto him, but as unto the Lord. Fix your eyes on Jesus, ladies. <laughs> Us men, we need help, you know. But before you men get too big-headed, let me tell you what the Word says about your wives. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy. Husbands, your level of love must be sacrificial. You must be willing to love your wives to the point of being willing to lay down your lives for for them. With the submission of your wives comes great responsibility and accountability. So men, when you're thinking of getting your own toys such as four-wheelers and that ain't nothing wrong with that, but you need to be in agreement. The men, the hunters out there say yes and amen. Praise God. But I'm just saying that, you know, God, God is interested in the, our family, our marriage dynamics. Are you with me? He, he, he wants to get in our family. He wants to get in the circle of our families. Are you with me? You know, it's, I don't know. It's just like, as my kids were growing up and, all of them are now, I guess that makes me a little old. I don't know. But you know, God would literally show up. And we'll be sitting there. And there were times where my wife and I would just start praying. And I don't know, it seemed like 10 or 15 minutes. It was eight hours. I don't know, nine, seven, four hours. It didn't matter. But the children, they got used to seeing mom and daddy in love with Jesus. Because I couldn't make them love God. But I could show them how to love God. Are you getting this? They said, what, what is it with mom and daddy? They're for real. They're the real. Come on. That's why we've had so much reality TV. Because, and even that is staged. But you cannot stage loving Jesus in the secret place. When they walk in on you and you're having a worship service or you're slaying the Holy Ghost and mama, glory to God, hallelujah. Come on. That's what building our generational structure look like. We cannot be emotionally and spiritually absent on them. We cannot trust them to a game, a video game, no. Or much less to YouTube. Not that those things are necessarily entirely wrong. But I'm saying you got to be there for them. you got to be present for them. I want to encourage you people. Are you getting this? It's about building our generational structures. And I see people of all ages. But perhaps if, if your children grew up and maybe you missed some chances. Do it with your grandchildren. Do it with your great-grandchildren. Sow a seed of righteousness into them. Hallelujah. I have one, my oldest daughter. And I hope this is not being recorded. But she's not where she needs to be. So she just had a baby in Chicago. And so we sent our stealth agent, Jessica, my middle child, <laughs> to help her with the baby. <laughs> but she's a prayer warrior. She's interceding. She's praying protection, pleading the blood of Jesus. I said, baby, do it. Just pray for that baby. She belongs to Jesus. Come on. You got to get real. You got to get determined. Amen. Praise God. So, so, 
And I'm going to read for the children. I'm going to cut several things out. But Second Timothy 1. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. If you notice, the Apostle Paul speaks of serving God as his own ancestors did. There was a legacy that he was handed down. It was not just him and his ministry, but he was a part of a generational blessing. He was a son of Abraham. He was not an isolated individual, but he speaks to Timothy. When he speaks to Timothy, Timothy, he also makes reference to the faith that lived in his grandmother Lois and in his mother Eunice. Timothy was not just an isolated individual either. There was an amazing heritage of faith. There was a generational blessing. There were things and promises that his grandmother had prayed uh, into that were manifesting in his mother, but also in, in him as well. No wonder the Bible says that God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Exodus chapter 3, do not come any closer. God said, take your sandals off for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This passage is the one where Moses had the original burning bush experience with God. Moses had not just, was not just called as an individual, he was part of a legacy. He was part of a lineage and a generation. See, he's the God of the generations. God is not interested in abiding in a man-made structure as much as he is in abiding in the generational structures made of human hearts that are submitted to him. David has, had been thinking of a temporary earthly structure that would last a number of years. Yet God was speaking about a house not made by human hands. A house that would be eternal, that would bring salvation to millions upon millions. A house that once God had his hand on it would be virtually indestructible. David had to step back and allow God to build his house. David was in in no position to build God a house until God himself built David's house, generationally speaking. It was the generational house that would build a temple, a temple. Solomon, the son of David, was the one who built the temple whose splendor we have already mentioned. This was a temple in which no expense was spared. Some say that about 663,000 pounds of silver and and about 567,000 pounds of gold were used in the building of the temple of Solomon. Yet the house that God was about to build through David was far more precious and spectacular than the man-made structure that Solomon built. How many times do we try to impress God with what we can do for him? How many times have we tried to do something for God instead of with God? David put it elegantly in Psalms 51. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice of God, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You God, oh God, will not deny. But he's not impressed or bought by material things. We can bring him. He's more impressed by the attitude of our hearts. He's impressed by our obedience. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 15, But Samuel replied, Does my Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. But going back to the passage in Haggai chapter 2, 
This is what I covenant with you. When you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you, do not fear. God was speaking to the descendants of those who had come out of Egypt. He spoke to them not as individuals but as generations. He spoke to the generational descendants, to the ones who left Egypt. In other words, the covenant he had made with their ancestors was as valid to this present generation as the day that he was made, as the day that he was made to their ancestors. God is a covenant-keeping God, generational covenant keeping God hallelujah his covenant with those who came out of Egypt was not outdated it was still good it was still good see let me remind you of the promise I made to your ancestors I'm paraphrasing I made a promise to Abraham Isaac and Jacob and I made promises to Joseph Moses and Joshua all of these promises I intend to keep and I intend to fulfill When God made a covenant with Abraham, he not only made it with him, he made a generational promise in Genesis 22, 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not kept withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the star in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Hallelujah. If you see the above mentioned passage that God did not just make covenant with the man called Abraham, but he made covenant with his descendants. The blessing is so big and so great and has so many faces and facets that it had to be made generationally. There were too many promises that it could not just be contained within the lifetime of a single individual named Abraham. Are you getting this? I want to speak as to how this applies to us. Now, say, how does that apply to me? Because I've given you some historical background. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. I'm the chief of them. Come on. I love God. He always picks on the least qualified of which I am. Come on, Jesus. We understand that by human standard, most of us do not have what it takes. Many do not have family legacy. Some of us may even feel alienated. The Bible says in Ephesians 2. 11, therefore remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah! I want to bring encouragement to you tonight. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4 verse 13. It was not through the love. It was not through the love that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. For For if those who depend on the law are heirs. Faith means nothing as the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath. And Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes through faith. Say with me, the promise Promise. comes through faith. So that it, it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. 
Pay attention. I don't want to lose you. Stay with me. He is the father of us all. I'm quoting the scripture. Amen. As it is written, I have made you father of many nations. He, he is, meaning Abraham, is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being the things that were not. Who's Abraham to you? He's not the, only the father of faith, but he is our father by faith. That's what the Bible is telling me. Let me confirm that to you. Because you cannot base it just on one scripture. The scripture confirms itself. I love the word of God. Abraham is the father of all souls. Glory to God. Say with me. I am a son of Abraham. Or daughter. By and through faith. He is our father in the sight of God. And I'm going to keep on saying. He is the God who gives life to the dead. And calls into being the things that were not. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were once dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now in work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following the desires and thoughts, like the rest who were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. And God God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God gave us life through the death of his son on the cross of Calvary. He called into being the things that were not. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. You and I are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promises. Hallelujah! When Abraham obeyed God, when he took his son, it changed directly my spiritual genetic makeup. Hallelujah. Something God went through time, distance, generations, people, tribes, languages, and he affected me. Hallelujah. So that I could be a son of Abraham by faith. So all of the promises that apply to Abraham also apply to me and to my generations. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Are you seeing this? We're acting as if we're somehow a Gentile isolated. No. You are a son and daughter of of Abraham. You're partaker and heir of the promises. Every promise God made to Abraham also applies to me by faith. Hallelujah. My God. Y'all give me some juice. When we came to Christ, then not only our individual lives change, but also changes our lineage he has given us. I know that in my natural family, 
there's a whole bunch, in my own family tree, there's a whole bunch of nuts. Let's get real here. As if, as if, come on now. Who don't have some nuts in your family tree? But I have a family tree in the spirit. I ain't throwing shade on my family tree. It is what it is. But I'm an heir of the promise. I am a son of Abraham by faith. My God. That means there is something on the inside of me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Abraham believed God and he was counted to him at righteousness. I have the spiritual genetic predisposition to believe God and to be counted as righteousness. Hallelujah. I know I'm doing a lot of screaming, but I just get excited. You're going to have to forgive me. But going back another time to Haggai too. This is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt. I want the worship team to come up. This is going to encourage me to finish. Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on. Are you still there? Are we still here, church? I'm about to close. Amen. Yeah, get happy. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're going to go another time to Haggai chapter 2. This is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. The same promises that were made to Abraham and his descendants are also made to each and every one of us who are the children of Abraham by faith. Hallelujah. We are the children of the promise. Come on. The Bible speaks that there is the wild olive tree and the, and the one that was cultivated and that we have been grafted. Oh, the love of God, the overwhelming love of God. Come on, stay with me for just a moment because I, 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 I want to I speak into your spirit, man. Because at the end of the day, it's about identity. You got to get this. Because otherwise... If you don't understand who you truly are, the enemy's going to lie to you. And he's been lying to many in the body of Christ because they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't understand that they're a son and a daughter of Abraham and that the same promises that apply to Abraham apply to you and to your generational structure. Are you getting this? I have a feeling we're going to begin to pray about our families a little bit differently because you're going to claim the promises of Abraham I don't know about you but this changed my prayer life I pray on my grandchildren I have two granddaughters two princesses my God I could never retire pastor I mean this is ridiculous like ponies I, could, I can't compete the other grandparents have got four ponies are you serious I can't, I can't afford that I guess it's grandchildren stuff I'm trying to learn I'm a pawpaw now So, therefore, it does not matter what's going on. It does not matter how bleak it might look for you today. There is hope. Say with me, there is hope. 
you know, I did that, that ancestry thing. My God, I'm a mutt. I'm a total mutt. I knew it, but now it's, it's official. But that ancestry could not detect what can only be detected is the spirit. Would you believe it? I have some Jewish in me, about 15% or something like that. No, but my spirit, I'm 100% a son of Abraham by faith. I'm a purebred by faith. This little Latino boy, oh my God, who would have thought? His spirit was not only with the children of Israel in the time of Haggai, but it is also with us today, right here and right now. We are the, a generation that is going to live out what was spoken in Joel chapter 2 verse 28. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. We are the generation that the spirit of God is not only with us. But it's also on the inside of us. We are heirs of the promise. You and I are on target. We are at the right place. At the right time. With the right people. Let's close our eyes for just a moment. There's such glory in this place. Spirit of the Lord. People listen to me. There's many of you that have God is calling into a place of accountability. Not because he hates you, because he loves you. Confrontation is not for destruction. Confrontation is the best attempt at preserving relationships. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. With all our eyes closed. If you're here and you've seen this crazy surgeon screaming and carrying on like a fool. But you know why I do that? Because there's a passion in my heart. Because I had an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus. And if you're here today and you want to know him. You may not have understood my foolishness. But you said something in the atmosphere when I was speaking. That's not Pastor David. That's Jesus. That's the Spirit of the Lord. If you're here today and you want to get your life right with God, just raise your hand. Wave your hand at me and say, Pastor David, that's me. It's all right. It's all right, church. Let's pray. Just wave your hand at me. I just want to make sure that I give. Uh, is that you? You want to receive Jesus? You want to get your life right with God? Anyone else? Anybody else? Jesus, Jesus, come on. Everyone repeat with me. Heaven, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I receive you in my heart. Lord, God, forgive me for the times that I have offended you. Wash me with your blood. Set me free. Write my name down in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' name.
I'm going to make a second call to those that you know that your shoulders were built to carry the glory. And you know that you know that you know that he's calling you and he's speaking to you. And you're looking at your present circumstances and situation and you're going, there is no way. Don't wait for everything to line up and be just right for you to obey God. I dare you, obey him now and he will set everything else straight. This is an altar call of encouragement for those who have been fighting the battle, for those who have come to the end of the rope. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He wants you. He doesn't want your stuff. He wants you. 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 Where are you? Those that want a greater level of the glory on their shoulders. Just come up right now. Just come up right now.